Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Speaking of traveling the world, we're currently here in San Fernando, which is in the northern Philippines. And unfortunately, the Wi-Fi is not very strong in this region. So I've been having to go to internet cafes. And, you know, back in my hometown of Vancouver, BC, Canada, I didn't even know internet cafes still exist. But here in the Philippines, they're the place to be. And I'm hanging out here. There's about probably like 50 or 60 different Filipino teenagers all playing video games. And there's me doing my coaching calls and doing my podcasts and doing my online courses. So it's, it's quite fun. And uh, today's episode, I have an amazing guest. He's been to every single United Nations country in the world. And there's actually 193 official United Nations countries. And our guest has been to every single one of them. And out of all of our interviews, we've done almost 500 of them. There have been only about five different guests who have been to all 192 countries. So whenever I get a chance to interview someone who's done this amazing feat, I get super, super excited. So our guest today, his name is Boris uh, Kester. He's actually from the Hol uh, Holland, Netherlands, and he's been traveling around the world. And he's based in the Netherlands. He works for KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines. And he has an amazing blog as well called Travel Adventures, traveladventures.org. And uh, of course, you can find him at boriskester.com as well. So I'll have these links below to find out about his personal website and his travel website. He's an amazing writer and photographer and super excited to have Boris share all of his insights into visiting every single country in the world. So Boris, how are you doing over there in the Netherlands today, my friend? Hi, I'm good. Oh, I think for you it's evening here, it's still uh, afternoon. Um, I had to laugh because you, you, you were saying Holland and then the Netherlands. Uh, it's, uh, that's, that's one thing I always notice that many people, they wonder why do you, does your country have two names? <laughs> And um, I, um, if, if you don't mind, I would like to explain uh, to your listeners that um, uh, technically speaking, Holland is only part of the Netherlands. So the Netherlands is the entire country and Holland is only uh, two of the, uh, of the 12 provinces. So um, uh, that might explain to many people who are wondering uh, about this strange thing that um, basically people from outside Holland, they would be they could be a little bit offended when you when you refer to Holland when you really want to refer to the Netherlands. So, <laughs> but anyway, Holland is not part of the UN. Uh, the Netherlands is. Perfect. So yes. Um, thank you. Thank you for uh, explaining it that way because I always, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not never sure like how I should refer to them. Should I refer to them as Dutch, you know, from the Netherlands or from Holland? So I think. The Dutch from the Netherlands, right? That's the official best way to refer. Yes. Okay. That's perfect. It's very similar to uh, England because, like, people from England, they sometimes they say we're from the United Kingdom, we're from Great Britain, we're from England, and you know, United Kingdom, Great Britain, England. There's kind of some uh, overlap there, but I, I never, I always confuse that as well. I, I think someone from Scotland would be very um, uh, offended if you would call his country. England. <laughs> uh, yes, of course, of course. You, you, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. The United Kingdom, you know, uh, England, United Wales, w England, Wales, Scotland, and of course, uh, Northern Ireland. <laughs> yep. So, Boris, uh, you know, uh, we, we have a lot to talk about in the show, and we love to firstly get to know our guests. So why don't you do a quick introduction, share a little bit more about your background and yourself. All right. So, um, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm, I was born in the Netherlands. Um, I started traveling at a very young age. Um, after school, I worked in uh, IT for four years. 
uh, until I realized that I was not going to be happy for uh, <clears throat> working in, in an office uh, for another 40 to 45 years. So um, I uh, started university and then while studying, I was, um, I felt restless and I applied to become a flight attendant and I've been uh, one ever since. So that's almost uh, 30 years now. Um, so after traveling a lot as a child uh, and in my uh, teenage years, uh, I, um, well, my, my job offered me the opportunity to travel much more. And um, around 10 years ago, I decided, you know what, why don't I try to travel to all countries in the world? So that's, um, and that's what I ended up doing until last year when I visited my very last country. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to give you a congratulations. Uh, you know, like out of all the people in human history, there've only been about 200 total people who have accomplished that feat. So you're very much in this exclusive minority. So firstly, congratulations for us. Thank you. So on our show, we usually cover two main topics, which is work and travel. So before we get into travel, let's find out a little bit about your work. I mean, you've been working um, in the airline industry for the last few decades. How has it been? Obviously, you love it enough to keep doing the same thing. How has it been? And tell us about what have you been your experiences working in the airline industry? How has it changed? And what have you? Uh, what are some of the highlights and lowlights of working in the industry? Hmm. Well, obviously, it, it changed a lot. I joined uh, the airline in uh, 1990, which is 28 years ago. Uh, <clears throat> and um, back then, I, I, that's how you started, at least in our company, you start as a flight attendant. Uh, so over the years, I made, uh, I made a career. And right now, I'm, uh, my position is a senior person, which basically means the, the, the manager, the in-flight manager of, uh, of the cabin crew. Um, so that's a change in my... Um, that's a big change in my, uh, in my personal uh, career life. But the airline industry itself obviously changed like almost beyond recognition. If, if, if I think back 28 years, we used to, we still used to have um, smoking on flights. Um, there was uh, just some, some kind of security, but nothing compared to, um, to all the security checks and, uh, and things that you have now. Um, obviously, after 9-11, uh, many, as probably all your listeners will recognize, many things changed uh, when it comes to flying before, like, the door to the cockpit would be open during the flight or you, you would just walk in and out of air, airports without any, any problems and um, things have changed a lot. Um, and the other thing that has changed a lot is that, um, like, around 30 years ago, flying was still probably a little bit of, a, of, a, of an elite thing to do um, and now especially with the low-cost carriers like flying up uh, in many cases flying is cheaper than taking a train or a bus or a boat so uh, so everyone flies and uh, and and you you certainly uh, uh, see that in in passenger behavior like like uh, there's more incidents with aggression there is um, um, basically whatever you have in, in uh, let's say, down-to-earth normal life, you, you will find it in the aircraft as well. So, uh, whereas before the aircraft would be kind of a, a bubble of normal society, and now society is just represented completely as it is on the ground in the air. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, obviously changed in so many ways. It's become a lot more affordable because, uh, you know, nowadays, like, uh, most people can fly, whether domestically or internationally. And, of course, you know, you mentioned a day that changed the whole world. Unfortunately, that has changed the whole airline industry. And, of course, it's frustrating having to check everything uh, before you get in and all. But hopefully it'll get better, you know. Uh, uh, never know what the future will hold here in terms of safety and security and uh, changing times. So in terms of you and your work, um, how often do you fly? Like in, in terms of a regular week or regular month, how often do you fly? Uh, how how are your shifts like? And where are you flying to? Uh, like is it between Holland and certain countries? Or uh, is it only in Europe? Uh, tell us a little bit about your work schedule and uh, kind of the routine. Um, well, my, my function is uh, it only exists on the intercontinental flights. So I only fly outside Europe. Um, and then I fly anywhere, so um, uh, North America, South America, Africa, and uh, Asia. Unfortunately, um, we we don't have flights to Australia anymore, so um, um, so those four continents uh, I would fly to, and um, it's it's kind of impossible to tell you how many hours a week I work or how many days a month because it really depends where you fly to like and and basically as a rule of thumb the further you fly um, the more hours you make the, the the more time you get at home to recover from jet lag from from being away from your friends and everything so um, uh, and, and, and reversely, the shorter flights you have, the, the shorter, the, the, the less days you have off uh, at home. So it, it really depends what, what flights you're doing to decide how many days a week you fly. So it's, that, that, and that's basically one of the things that I really like in this job, unlike um, like a regular job where you would work probably Monday to Friday and have the weekend off. Um, I, would, I could work any day of the year, any day of the week. And, um, well, which has upsides and downsides, of course. Sometimes you work for Christmas, you work for New Year's Eve, uh, you miss someone's birthday or even your own birthday. <laughs> so, um, so, but for me personally, it's, that's one of the big advantages because it's, uh, it's completely irregular and unpredictable, basically. Yeah, just like travel itself, it's it's very unpredictable, very spontaneous. So there's definitely a correlation between what you're doing for work and your, of course, your passion, which is travel generally. Exactly. So let, let's cover your travel. So obviously, like you started traveling before you got into it as a career. Uh, tell us a little bit about the origin. What made you so passionate about travel? Was it uh, uh, from childhood? Was it uh, you know when you became a young adult? Or tell us about the origin of why you're so passionate about travel. From then all the way up to now and into the future? <laughs> um, I think it actually didn't change that much over the years because I, I, as a, I remember as a, even at a very young age, I was, I was always very interested in, in, um, in different cultures and also in, in adventures. So I was reading um, adventure books and uh, travel books and I always had this curiosity to, to learn more about uh, let's say strange or different places. So, um, and um, I happen to have two parents who um, who love traveling themselves. So they they took me and my sister uh, on a lot of trips through Europe and the Middle East, um, Africa and India. And um, well, it 
when I when I was old enough to travel myself, I just continued doing what I <laughs> what I learned doing as a child, and uh, and still now even like last year when I when I visited my last country, people were asking like, so now are you, are you gonna stay home or are you gonna finally have time for uh, for for other things in uh, doing in in, in Holland and. Um, um, and I was surprised by the question because I was like, well, the curiosity is not gone. So I, I just, I will continue traveling, not, not just for work, but also, also privately. Because uh, even though I've been to all countries in the world, there's still so many places that I haven't seen or I want to revisit or I heard about. But uh, I'm just wondering what they look like. And um, so there's, I, don't, I, don't, I, can, I cannot imagine um, a day where I will just, uh, unpack my suitcase, close the door, and uh, well, <laughs> and say that was it. At least not for the moment. <laughs> yeah, there there is a saying about you know like once you get the travel bug, you're addicted for life, and there's no way to cure it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. I th I I think I I was bitten badly, and uh, I still didn't find the cure. So. Um, and even if there was a cure, I, I'm not sure I would like to have it. <laughs> exactly. Me as well. Me as well. Uh, so tell us about uh, when you made the shift between just traveling for leisure and pleasure and, of course, for work uh, to actually making this pursuit uh, after 193. When did that shift happen in terms of your mind, but also in terms of practically aiming and shooting for the goal? Um... Well, it's, it's about 10 years when I, when I decided to, to, to go for it. Uh, I, um, even as a child, I was counting the number of countries I had been to. Um, but I was never counting down, so to say. I was only adding up. And uh, around 10 years ago, I, I, I suddenly realized I was at around 120. And I realized, well, there's uh, a little bit over 70 more countries to go. And um, which seemed like an awful lot back then. But... I decided, well, maybe it should, it's time instead of adding up to start counting down. And that's, that's where I, I made a long list of, uh, of the 73 countries that were missing. Um, not even sure if I would be able to do it because some of those countries seemed kind of difficult. But um, uh, yeah, that's when I decided to go for it. And uh, it has it changed a lot because I, I, I needed to plan a lot of a lot of those travels between work flights and um uh i i didn't want to rush it so i uh i basically spent most of my time in the last 10 years uh outside uh, my home and outside holland so either traveling for work or traveling for uh for leisure yeah, there's definitely a very interesting perspective because uh, most of us, like I've been to 81 countries and I'm counting up right now. And I think maybe when I hit the halfway point, like the 100 plus mark, then I'll be like, okay, only 93 left to go. I've done 100 already. So uh, there's a point when it shifts and it's probably around that halfway mark like it was for you, a little bit more than halfway, obviously, with 120 and then 73 left to go. Uh, so in terms of the actual uh, plan, uh, I love to kind of dissect the plan in terms of like, okay, you have 73 countries, and it's not all in one region. It's scattered around the world in different countries and continents. Uh, how did you actually go from the plan to making it a reality? Did you cover uh, one continent at a time, one year at a time, the easiest ones first, the hardest ones first, uh, just convenience? Walk us through the, the process in terms of like, how did you make the plan a reality? 
Um, it's it was basically a mix of of all the things you uh, you mentioned because um, I um, I realized that some countries would be hard to visit um, and um, I didn't do them right away but I I, I at a certain moment I reached a point where I thought well I I shouldn't leave them for last because that that because then it becomes like something that you. Uh, like when you're eating something and uh, there's something on your dish that you don't like, it's it's better to eat it first and then finish with the nice stuff instead of the other way around. So, uh, <laughs> so I um, uh, in uh, like more or less five years ago, I decided to to tackle the difficult countries first, the the ones that were that remain at least, and then uh, and then continue with the other ones. And actually, um, the further I got, the more I was really consciously planning like. Um, at a certain moment, I thought, which which are the nicest countries left? Because I wanted to leave them for last, like as a as a kind of dessert. And um, uh, and then I also um, uh, a couple of years ago, I started thinking like, what should be my very last country? And 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 where? How how? Wh- what do I do? What do you do when you visit your last country? So um, so I realized that I wanted to celebrate it with my um, my family and friends and. Um, uh, fortunately, I uh, I had never been to Ireland, which is obviously very close to uh, to the Netherlands, and um, uh, so that's when I decided to keep Ireland for last because it's uh, yeah it's an hour ten minutes flight from uh, from Amsterdam, and uh, very easy to reach for many people. So um, and that that really worked out well because uh, I had a great day in uh, in Ireland celebrating uh, stepping across my very last border. Well, you teased us a little bit. I'd love for you to paint that picture more. So you, you get to Ireland, which is, uh, uh, you know, it, it would, it's not the, the, the things you would think of in terms of the last countries. A lot of people go to the, like a place in Africa or maybe the Middle East, a little bit harder to get to. Whereas you, kept, you, you, you kind of were very strategic because it would be easier and cheaper for your friends to fly in and celebrate with you. So tell us about that moment, that experience when you first got off the plane and you literally touched down in Ireland soil. How was that in terms of the emotions, in terms of your friends and family? Uh, tell us about the emotional um, experience, but also like, what did you guys do to celebrate? Uh, well, actually, um, my, uh, my nieces convinced me not to fly to Ireland because um, they thought that would be too, too easy. So I um, <laughs> so actually flew to Northern Ireland, uh, to Belfast and uh, rented a car. And uh, on uh, on Google Earth, I um, um, I was looking for because obviously there's no at least not yet there's no real visible border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, and um, uh, so I was looking for a specific place where you could actually see the border, and then I uh, I discovered that there's a, a Fane River, which is a small river running, uh, which is part part of the border between uh, the two countries. And um, uh, I noticed that there was a, a small road with a little bridge. And the bridge obviously is the country, because, uh, is, the, is the border marking because um, uh, that's, that's the border cross, that's the, the border, the, the bridge linking uh, Northern Ireland to, to Ireland. So, um, so I invited my, um, uh, my friends to, uh, to go to the bridge and uh, most of them came in from uh, from Dublin, from Ireland, and uh, they came in before. So I was uh, that was one of the surprises they they had for me because I was driving 
uh, with friends and family from uh, from Belfast towards the border. And then when I arrived, they had um, they had decorated the border. They had um, marked marked it with um, uh, with duct tape on the in the middle of the bridge, so that there was actually a border I could step across from. <laughs> and my uh, my brother-in-law made um, a special stamp uh, because I. Uh, I complained beforehand, like, well, it's too bad that you don't even get a stamp in Ireland. So he uh, he made a stamp for me. And uh, so when I stepped across, there was a whole ceremony, which my friends and family had prepared uh, to, uh, well, to mark the occasion and uh, to stamp my um, uh, my passport and speeches. And uh, it, it was a real, um, uh, yeah, special event. And then in, in the evening in, uh, in Dublin, <coughs> we had... Um, like a like a party in um, uh, in part of a pub uh, downtown Dublin, and uh, more friends joined there, and we had a yeah just a great evening with people from um, several different countries, uh, and of course people from Holland as well. So it's uh, I was I was really glad to to have um, because I I needed a lot of patience not to because it was flying to Ireland would have been very easy of course so. Um, I was really happy I, uh, I managed to, uh, to put it off until <laughs> the last country and, uh, and celebrate it this way because, because I, I just cannot imagine that you arrive in some faraway place and which would be your last country and then you, yeah, you get your entry stamp and, and, and then what? It's, it's like an empty moment somehow. So. Yeah, and there's a saying, uh, happiness is best shared. And, uh, you know, part of the travel is the people and the experiences and the moments and the memories. And what you described there is so powerful. I was actually getting emotional just hearing you and I could picture that moment of the celebration and you crossing over the bridge and then you getting the stamp. Uh, oh, man, uh, what a powerful moment. So, yeah, definitely uh, congratulations there. I know probably out of all of your travels, you get this question. First and foremost, what is your favorite country? And I, I, I don't know if I hate that question, but I struggle with that question too. I'm like, man, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't have one favorite. I have many favorites. Like, I've been to like, you probably have like 193 favorites. Uh, maybe you can share with us, not the favorite, but maybe the highlights. Out of the 193, were there some highlights or some experiences or some memories? Kind of like what you described, like crossing over from... Uh, Northern Ireland to the Republic of Ireland. Were they those kind of moments? Uh, I mean, obviously they were, but what are some of those kind of moments that really stood out and what were the highlights of your 193 countries visited? Uh, yeah, well, that's, uh, it is a uh, often qu asked question, of course, um, and I totally understand why people would ask. Um, people also sometimes ask me, what is the best country to live in since you've been to all of them? But I think that's that's... That's a different question, which is impossible for me to answer because living somewhere is not visiting somewhere. So there, there's a big, as you probably know yourself, it's um, one thing is to visit a country and uh, you enjoy the sights, and then you go after you, you go home after a couple of weeks with uh, with your pictures, and uh, it's all nice. But when you actually live there, it's it's a it's a different story. So, um, but some of the highlights, um, uh, what comes to mind is Papua New Guinea, which is probably my one of my top five favorite countries um, and it is so because it's uh, it's a still a very probably one of the most authentic countries I've ever been to um, and um, it's not as dangerous as some people would uh, would, would, would try to make you believe um, 
I was really surprised that there's uh, hardly any tourism there, it's, even if it's relatively close to Australia, for instance. But um, I traveled there for a little under a month, and I saw I probably saw five foreigners in 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 a month. So. Um, which for me means it's almost void. There's there's almost no tourism, but it's um, um, it was in many ways a highlight for landscapes, for people, for culture, for uh, authenticity, um, uh, interesting food. So um, it has uh, it has an awful lot to offer, and well, you almost never hear anyone going there. And um, if you hear if you see something about it, it's mostly um very expensive organized tours which they charge like thousands of dollars for just 10 days and it's uh uh it's definitely not necessary to 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 visit it that way you you can you can you can do it by yourself um and uh yeah it's just one big adventure so um uh, which reminds me that your question is also very personal because probably what I would like very much, someone else might not like at all. So <laughs> obviously I can only speak from my own experiences, but um, uh, second um, experience would probably be Sudan in Africa, which um, has a, for many people has a pretty bad name to it, but it's uh, the, the, um, Apart from the sites that you can you can visit in uh, in Sudan, the, the the people are outstanding. They are so super friendly and humble, and um, uh, unlike some other countries uh, in the region, uh, they they are respectful. They don't like they don't uh, nag you. They don't run after you to sell you something. They just leave you, and they they are helpful and uh, very um, hospitable. Even though many of them are super poor, but it's um, that was a very touching place to visit because it it has such a, a bad image, which is, in my view, totally undeserved. Which obviously is one of the good things to travel when you get to see the real face of places where, which you normally only get through the news and uh, a certain image which might be political or economical or some, you know, it's, it's always tainted. So when you get there yourself, you can see for yourself what it really looks like and what it feels like. Um, I don't know, you, you want me to go on? Because I can, <laughs> I can, I can take many more countries and uh, because there's, as I said, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult question because every country I, I mentioned, there's five others in my head, which, also deserve to be mentioned, so um, it's uh, it's always hard to, um, to to give a to give an answer, which always leaves out places which probably in five or ten minutes I will think, no, why didn't I say that? Because <laughs> I can definitely relate. Yeah, it's uh, basically whatever is like the top of mind is what you say, but really like uh, those memories, those experiences that are so deep in your heart and soul and spirit. It's so hard to vocalize those and summarize those into, okay, these are the top five, one, two, three, four, five. It's more about sharing those moments and experiences and the why. Okay, why was Papua New Guinea favorite? And why, uh, you know, like um, these other places. So yeah, I, I can definitely relate there. So on the flip side, uh, of course, you have the good things, like the things you like. But then there's also the flip side in terms of the low lights. And on social media, you don't usually see those low lights. You see the good stuff, you know, like the people smiling with the latest monument or World Heritage Site, but you don't see the struggles, the challenges, the feeling like giving up, 
uh, the frustrations, the anger, the difficulties. Maybe sh uh, flip it around and share some of those uh, not so good moments and also some of the challenges, struggles, and difficulties you face visiting uh, every country in the world, uh, Boris. Yeah, well, I, uh, whenever possible, I, I, um, I traveled independently, which um, uh, for me is by far the preferred way to travel because it gives you total freedom um, and it also gives you a better insight, I think, into countries because you have to deal with local authorities, local people, try to, trying to arrange things. But obviously, this, this also means that um, uh, at times you run into really... <laughs> frustrating, hard, difficult situations. And, uh, and uh, I think a few times I've been at, a, at points where I thought, well, is this really worth it? And do I really want to continue? Or <laughs> uh, sometimes I considered hmm, maybe I should just go home and, and you know, find, a, find an easier destination to visit. But, um, but then it, it, it comes down to endurance and to, to just push forward. Um, well, some of the frustration, some of the frustrations come are related to 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 the visa process, and um, um, uh, as you probably know, there's a, a yearly ranking of the most uh, or the best passports you can hold, and um, I think the last list I saw, the Netherlands was in the top five. So I, I apparently have one of the best passports you can have to travel. Um, even then, I, I ran into problems because, uh, especially con some countries in Africa, uh, can be uh, can have really strict um, conditions for uh, for getting a visa for independent travel. And uh, outside Africa, there's also some countries which, um, uh, depending on the political situation, uh, might pose problems or might not even be willing to uh, to issue visa. This can change by the day. So. Um, and I had some um, really frustrating moments there. And I, I sometimes read stories about people with, um, uh, with different passports, uh, let's say much more difficult passports. And I, I can only feel for them because um, knowing that I have one of the best passports, I can, I, I can only imagine how, how hard it is for people who have one of the worst passports to, and who still want to pursue the same goal or to travel. It's... Uh, it's uh, it can be really uh, frustrating to 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 get your visa to uh, and even if you have a visa sometimes it get can be difficult to actually enter the country even holding a, a valid visa and a valid passport so uh, and that sometimes just depends on the person you meet but difficult examples would be um, well Equatorial Guinea is, is one it's it's it, it has it has a reputation of being difficult. Um, I saw some recent news that it seems to be getting a little bit easier now because they um, uh, they rely on uh, on the oil, their oil producing country and uh, they probably realize that they m might need to diversify their economy and uh, be a little bit more welcoming to tourism. But um, when I visited a couple of years ago, Equatorial uh, Guinea was definitely uh, super difficult to get a visa, uh, and even with the visa, super difficult to uh, actually cross the border. Uh, probably just because they're not used to tourism and that, that was um, that was probably one of the low lights of my uh, <laughs> of my travel life and then frustrate frustrations can be apart from visas can be um, like transportation uh, 
you know, you, you wait for a bus to fill up and it just doesn't fill up. So it doesn't leave. So, so I've been to places where people would have, like the driver would try to, to, to convince you, no, we're leaving in, uh, in half an hour. And then uh, after eight hours, you, you, you still didn't move. So, <laughs> and that can be uh, super frustrating, especially when it's, uh, when it's very hot and, um, uh, you don't dare to leave the bus because you think, well, you know what, it might leave in 10 minutes, but then it probably won't. But <laughs> uh, so um, the good thing here is that um, you know, one of the uh, advantages of, of technology is that in some cases now you can, you can uh, when you buy a local SIM card, you can just leave your um, your number with the driver and uh, you can say, you know what, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going shopping. I will do this or that. And just call me when you're about to leave. And they will, they will actually call you. And uh, so you, so they give you the opportunity to come back to your, to the bus and, uh, and, and, and leave. But, um, so yeah, obviously, um, lots of frustrating moments, but in the end, you know, they can also be uh, afterwards. They always, almost always, they turn into into the best travel stories. Yeah, but coming back to Papua New Guinea, I, I remember that I was I was traveling over land uh, with uh, with a truck, and uh, uh, it, it was like super slow. It, I think for two hundred kilometers, it took us more than ten hours to uh, to drive, stopping, going back, picking up people, dropping people taking cargo, dropping cargo, selling stuff. And then I remember at a certain moment, the, the driver um, uh, stopped the, the, the truck and he left. And then after a couple of minutes, he came back with a coconut and he, uh, he gave the coconut to me. And, and I was like, why? And, and he said, yeah, I feel so sorry for you because you, <laughs> you're having such a hard time and it's so slow and it takes all day and we're not even there yet. And, uh, and I, I was, I was up, well, I love coconuts, so I was <laughs> very happy with that. But I was also surprised because I was just having a great time. I was laughing with, with the people in the back of the truck and, you know, you, you just, you're just bonding. And for me, those experiences, had, I mean, you could... If you if you let in the frustrations, it it could be your low light. But it's it, at the same time, if you if you have the right attitude, I think you can turn them around and uh, actually make them in, into probably the highlight of your trip. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. It's definitely that the the, the positive attitude and being uh, grateful no matter what. Just the fact that you're able to be traveling on a local bus and you know like uh, a lot of the local people that you're on the bus with they don't have the chance to travel so i think just having that heart of gratitude and always being positive and just uh, changing your perspective perception when you feel like complaining when you feel like man like why is this taking so long it's like man i'm so grateful just to be here and just to be traveling so i yeah, definitely uh, agree with your sentiments there boris <laughs> Travel, travel requires patience. And that I, I think you're very right. I, I, um, uh, especially in the last 10 years, I more and more realize how fortunate I am to be able to travel because, because many people in many countries I met, I talked to, um, they even didn't understand the whole idea of holidays. They would ask me, so what are you doing here? And I would say, well, I'm traveling. I'm, this is my holiday. I'm, I'm off for a month or two months. And uh, they would look at me and say, well, what does it mean to be off? And, and, and then you realize that for some people, there is not only don't they travel, but they don't even know 
what it means to have a week or, or, or a month off. They just work every day to, to survive, basically. And then you feel totally very, I mean, you, you feel very fortunate to be able to do it. Yeah, at the same time, you can definitely inspire people and show them like, okay, it's possible. And even if travel isn't as crazy like you in terms of visiting every country in the world, it might be just, uh, you know, taking that one week off and going to a different state or a different province and uh, just getting away because it's so healthy for a soul and spirit and even for a work. And in terms of being productive, uh, when you get away, you often get back to work and you're more productive and more motivated. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, it's, part, it's all part of life to, to not only work hard, but of course to play hard as well. Uh, so, Boris, uh, tell us about the political situation in a lot of the countries you're traveling to. I think a lot of people are scared. They're scared to go in the Middle East. They're scared to go into parts of Africa. And this is fear factor, so which prevents people from even considering going to the more dangerous parts of the world. So, how did you deal with that in terms of the fear factor? I love kind of understanding the mindset, but also practically, how did you keep yourself safe so you're not being kidnapped or robbed or mugged? Uh, uh, tell us about... <laughs> Uh, how how did you handle both the mental and the practical of uh, traveling to the more politically dangerous parts of the world? Um, well, to begin with, I think uh, I think risk is a very relative uh, uh, term. And um, uh, when I looking back at all the traveling I did, and I traveled a lot in in so called dangerous countries and countries where when you look at you know, travel advisory maps, the, they are marked uh, red uh, and uh, they're marked as no-go areas and uh, don't travel if unless totally necessary. But um, um, thinking back of all the traveling I did, I, by far the most difficult, dangerous part of traveling was the traveling itself and, and taking local buses with... Um, uh, which hadn't seen maintenance for years, which were falling apart, and uh, traveling on roads which were also falling apart, and which also didn't see maintenance for years. So, um, obviously, I mean, you, I'm not saying that you can travel anywhere in the world without any risk. Obviously, there is some countries which are more risky than others, but the traveling itself has there has there have been so many moments where I thought, hmm, this was really close. <laughs> And there were some moments where actually things did go wrong and, uh, and I was lucky enough to escape uh, uh, in a good way. But um, um, that said, of course, there's, there's countries where um, uh, wars are going on or the situation is very, uh, very tense or complex. Um, I've been there and, and there's only been very few places where I really felt in danger and I, I, even in countries which are supposedly no-go areas uh, I discovered that you know life goes on and people just live their lives and they're in many in most cases they're more than happy to help you out and, and make you feel safe as safe as possible um, but it, it takes I think it grows on you and at first when you go to a country you you think is dangerous you um, you're very um, cautious and you think you know uh, bullets are flying through the air and I, I need to <laughs> hide and duck and I don't know whatever but but uh, and then you discover that actually this is not the case uh, unless you go through a really hot war zone which I would not travel to in the first place but um, um, but then it's it's um, 
Yeah, it's also a very relative thing because I, I remember as a teenager, I was traveling by train through Europe and I, I overheard people talking about their travels and, uh, and they were talking about uh, how dangerous Amsterdam was. And I was, back then I was living in Amsterdam. So, um, so I, that's when I realized, because I, at first I thought, are you calling Amsterdam dangerous? And then, <laughs> and then they had stories like, yeah, I know someone who was mugged in Amsterdam. And oh, I also know someone who was mugged in Amsterdam. And then, and then suddenly your own town becomes like uh, a dangerous place. And, and even though you live there yourself and you think dangerous, how, how can you even <laughs> consider uh, calling Amsterdam dangerous? So, so um, I'm just trying to say that it's it's uh, it's, it's all also relative, and it also depends on on who is talking and and how how you define danger. Um, uh, so yeah, um, I think in the end it's it's in, it, it's a, it's a personal thing, and um, I advise people who, who consider doing travels to. Uh, let's say out of the out of the way countries or more let's say more dangerous countries to um to consider for themselves if they uh how they feel about it because i, I i'm sure that if you feel nervous about visiting country uh and and in deep inside you feel like hmm maybe this is not if, if you don't feel comfortable with it just probably you, you just shouldn't, shouldn't even do it so um and you should probably try some other countries which are less dangerous. And then, uh, you, you know, you might, you might grow into it. I, I think I visited in the last 10 countries, I visited countries where 10 years before I wouldn't have thought of visiting because just because I'm uh, much more experienced now and, and, and uh, I've, I've got a better grip on things, a better idea of what to expect and how to deal with things. And then you feel much more confident, you know how to deal with people and, uh, it, it gives you, it probably allows you in a much better way to, um, uh, to, to actually go to those countries and, and uh, see them for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, almost like a muscle, right? The, the more you work your travel muscle, the more confident you get, uh, the more you know how to avoid dangerous situations. And even if you are in a dangerous country, quote unquote, you kind of know how to blend in more and dress like the locals and fit in. Uh, so there's definitely a, uh, a little bit of a learning and growth period in terms of developing the travel muscle. So Boris, I'm curious, what's next? So you've done the 193, uh, you mentioned Ireland was the last one, you had the big celebration, and it's already 2018 and you finished this goal last year. So there's all these other lists, uh, there's things like the Traveler Century Club, there's Nomad Mania, there's like the um, United uh, uh, UNESCO, there's the UNESCO sites, there's all the territories in the world, so what and there's obviously a chance for you to go revisit and explore some areas uh, that you have you haven't seen as much in detail. So what are you aiming for? Because you're obviously very goal oriented in terms of hitting the 193. What is the next number and the next goal you're going to attempt to reach? Well, I'm, I'm, for, I'm for now. I'm concentrating on um, uh, on my website. I have uh, uh, I'm sharing because I'm 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 a photographer, so I, I do a lot of pictures, uh, take a lot of pictures on on the road, uh, and write stories about all the travels and all the adventures I had. Um, and for various reasons, there are still a couple of countries missing on my website. So those those are my first targets now. And uh, and then there is. Um, 
there are so many things still to uh, to be discovered. Uh, so um, uh, I still have a. Uh, I started already a couple of years ago. I started recompiling a list or compiling a new list of uh, the countries I want to revisit, uh, and this is based on uh, both you know, input you get from travelers uh, on the road or things you read or just things you, uh, you, you know that, that are there but you have never been to, which are part of a country that obviously I have visited. So um, um, apart from the countries that are still missing on my, uh, on my website, uh, which are only three now, um, I, for now I don't really have like a new list, if, if that's what you're asking. I, I don't have a... Uh, I'm not interested in visiting all the sub-regions and, and all the little mm -hmm. uh, islands and everything because because I think that's a little bit, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure that would be my uh, my main interest. My main interest is just to to travel, you know, out of curiosity, as I, as I said at the beginning, um, and see different parts of countries I've been to before. Um, and then there's there's a if I look at the list of the countries of the places I want to visit, I think that list will last for the rest of my life. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and the second thing uh, I'm working on right now is uh, is uh, I'm I'm currently writing writing a book about at least some of the adventures I had on the road um, because uh, I understand from people just talking to people that people are really interested to hear like. Uh, because they, they, especially from the more, let's say, the less, the least visited countries, they, they don't really have an image or they don't have an idea like what would it be like. So, um, uh, I think we all have this curiosity to uh, to know a little bit more about our uh, planet. So, um, so I'm currently writing a book um, about, uh, well, at least a selection of uh, adventures I had on the road. Um, some of which you. Uh, we touched upon in this interview. Uh, so that's another uh, goal, a totally different goal, of course, but so yeah. Yeah, exciting times. Definitely wish you the best with the book. I'm a fellow author, so I know how hard it is to uh, publish your own book, so wish you the best there. In conclusion, I'm curious to know, what advice and tips would you give to someone who wants to pursue the same goal? Uh, on a personal level, that's one of our big goals as a family, to be the first family to visit every country in the world. So there are a lot of viewers and listeners who want to do something similar in terms of uh, completing every country in the world. What advice, tips, strategies would you give to that person who's listening and watching right now? Um, well, I would, uh, the first thing coming comes that comes to mind is that, um, don't rush it because I, I, because visiting all 193, sometimes it feels like it, it, it's becoming kind of a fashion or, or something that, uh, more and more people want to, uh, want to achieve. And, um, and I sometimes see people who visit like uh, even two or three countries in, in a day. And uh, of course, that, that way you, you tick off your list very quickly. But um, whenever I hear their stories or read their stories, I, I in the back of my mind, I think, well, okay, but then you're missing out so much. So, so I, would, I would say for anyone trying to, to, to do 193, uh, try to... Uh, try not to forget what travel is about. It's about experiences. It's about trying to understand uh, the place you're visiting, uh, trying to bond with, with local people, um, 
and 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 you know I I don't know it, it, it I think it would be a shame to um, to tick off as many countries as you can in in the shortest possible time frame because uh, because you just miss out on so many things and um, uh, the second thing is I sometimes get questions like people think that I'm super rich to be able to do this but this is uh, travel doesn't have to be um, uh, very expensive it depends where you go to of course uh, one country is more expensive than the other but um, but if you're keen on um, uh, on on your spending you you can uh, especially when you cut down on the luxuries like five-star hotels or <laughs> or private drivers and everything you th th those are things that, that would make your travels very expensive but um, there's a lot of ways and it's nowadays very easy to find to find on the internet advice how to uh, travel uh, more economically but um, uh, you don't have to be a millionaire to uh, to do one on 183 so uh, actually I, I to be honest I think uh, it's better to do it in a in a more economical way than to um, to 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 rent to let's say hire a private jet and fly <laughs> fly around the world for for a lot of money and then probably just see uh, small stuff. But um, uh, what else? Perseverance, of course. We touched on uh, we we touched on frustrations before, and you, you there's one guarantee when you try to do 183. There will be moments where you're totally frustrated and <laughs> where you will probably even curse yourself for having set such a stupid goal. But um, yeah, be positive, be patient, and uh, and believe that in the end it, it, it it's doable. So you you yeah. Uh, and then of course, practically speaking, it's uh, it's probably wise to to when you have some more time off to. Um, to concentrate on a region, to uh, you know, but, but these are probably very uh, straightforward or very uh, logical uh, suggestions that everyone can uh, can think of themselves. Yeah, you've definitely been very insightful, and I'd love to keep talking, uh, you know, for this for twenty four hours because it's such a fascinating topic. But uh, in conclusion, uh, obviously, you do have your website. If people wanted to get more information, you got your photography for people to visualize you know your whole trip and people can contact you to maybe ask some follow-up questions so tell us about that your website your photography your social media and more um well the the, the website basically came from uh from what we what i talked about before that um i feel very fortunate to be able to do this and um uh, i know there's a lot of people who are uh who are not so uh, it, it basically started to as a way to share um, to share my stories to share my pictures and to show people like you know what uh, you heard so many things about this in this country but this is what it actually looks like and this is what it what it means to be traveling in, in, in this place and this is what people do and uh, what people say how people think um, so yeah so sharing um, uh, sharing my experiences on, on my website is a, is, a, is a big thing for me. Um, photography has developed over the years. In the beginning, I had this, you know, these small, these small cameras, and now I, um, I'm very used to traveling these heavy uh, SLRs with lens and everything, and it's it's part of my um, <laughs> part of my travel style. So. Um, 
so yeah you you can uh, of course my my website is meant to inspire people to 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 travel to places they probably didn't even hear about um, at the same time one one other tip uh, recommendation uh, in in the, in your previous uh, question would be to what I always try to do is to to see as few pictures as possible before going somewhere because mm. because nowadays you can you know through the internet you can basically see the whole world without even leaving your desk you can you can yeah. you can you can find pictures from almost anywhere um, and um, it takes it, it which is good it's very good but it also takes away a little bit of the, the magic of traveling which is arriving somewhere without having a clue what it actually looks like and uh, uh, for my, for me myself, I, I think I like this surprise element. So I, I try. It's it's sometimes it's very hard, but I try to not to look at too many pictures before going somewhere because I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be in awe when I when I arrive somewhere and think, wow, this is really special, and then uh, and and then enjoy it without without an idea already in my head of what it should look like. <laughs> It's kind of like the movie trailer analogy, right? Like where before you go see a mainstream movie, if you see too much of the trailer, it kind of spoils it. So uh, it's sometimes good just to go and get surprised and discover what it's all about for yourself. So yeah, great advice there. So Boris, in conclusion, what's the link to your website and how can people connect? Well, of course, uh, I, I still hope people will um, uh, will visit my website because I'm I'm not saying that they shouldn't <laughs> to take away their uh, <laughs> the image of a country. But uh, my website is, uh, as you already mentioned at the beginning, it's traveladventures.org. Uh, and um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. Uh, there's a link so on every page, so you can easily um, send me a message, and uh, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, I don't know. I'm on the website, you can you can find currently over twenty thousand pictures from uh, well, one hundred ninety countries because there's there's still three missing. <laughs> I hope to fill them out uh, probably before the end of the year or early next year. And um, uh, yeah, I think that that will be the answer to your question. Yes, uh, you know, and uh, definitely uh, the, the best way to know the road ahead is to ask those who have already done it. So uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, our viewers, are going to be uh, reaching out to you to get their own advice. And uh, I'm sure, you know, when you were pursuing the 193 year to ask people, how did you do this country and how did you get this visa and was this area safe and uh, what, what should I see in this place? So, yeah, I definitely encourage uh, people to reach out to Boris and uh, check out his website, of course. Check out all the amazing pictures and get inspired to travel more. So thank you, Boris, for joining us all the way from the, the Netherlands today, uh, for sharing all of your insights into your travel journey. And I wish you the best in, uh, in terms of your upcoming book and all of your upcoming travels. Thanks for being on the show, Boris. Thank you very much. And thanks, everyone, for tuning into this yeah, thanks everyone for tuning into this episode. Definitely a very inspiring one. Uh, you know, connecting with Boris here, who's been to every single United Nations country in the world, all 193. Uh, so reach out to Boris, connect with him, and connect with us as well. We're daddyblogger.com. And if you're interested in me in Digital Nomad, digitalnomadmastery.com as well. Thanks everyone for tuning into this episode where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world, every single country.